You're listening to Donuts and Top Cow. Two great tastes that taste better together. Thanks for joining us. This is episode 42 of Donuts and Top Cow. My name is John Griggis. And mine is Josh Crawley. And we would like to thank Derek Coward and the Comic Book Noise family of podcasts for hosting us on their network. We're proud to be a part of the Comic Book Noise family. Oh, yeah, familia. We are recording from the east side location near downtown Madison of Westfield Comics. And you can do business either by dropping into Josh's store uh, just off of Williamson Street or... Find Westfield at www.westfieldcomics.com for to-your-door service. You can pre-order issues coming out. You can get some recent back issues if you've missed a few. And check them out. Today, our donuts are from PDQ, one of Jimmy Hayes' favorite establishments. Pretty darn quick. We've got some apple fritters today. Because it was just... uh, it was just that convenient to swing by and get them. And we're going to have some apple fritters. How is it? What do you, how do you rate it? Well, it's not as good as, like, the, uh, the Target ones, which are kind of, you know, the slightly better ones that I've uh, had in town. Definitely, of course, not up to Lane's Bakery, which is the, the pinnacle but, uh, you know, it's a pleasing taste. It is nice, airy, not a whole lot of apple in there. But satisfying as we go through. We're taking a look at Witchblade 152, which is the second story in the, well, the second issue in the arc that's going on right now. Tim Seeley's first run with artwork by Diego Bernard and inking by Fred Bennis. Coloring by Arif Prianto of IFS, and letters by the man, Troy Petrie. Troy. Unbalanced Pieces, Part 2. So in this, we catch up, if you'll recall, from Witchblade 151. Sarah finds herself in Chicago. She's getting a new start. She's left the New York Police Department. She is working as a private investigator. And it doesn't take her long to stumble across some very mystical goings-on. She, We meet a new character, a couple of new characters in that issue. One of them is a police officer, Jane Big Waz Wozniki. And then we also meet Kane Jorgensen, who will factor into this setting. She, He basically talks her up in a nightclub, and while he's talking her up, He's distracted by somebody who also has some something uh, something mystical going on, supernatural, and engages Sarah in a fight. So this is uh, some hottie engages Sarah in a fight, and if you'll recall, here's a spoiler from the end of the last issue. Sarah defeats this attacker, and the attacker immediately becomes a, an aged old woman as she's uh, as Sarah basically disarms her. Somehow it never occurred to me until just now that the old uh, alderman she was following, who was magically dead despite having seemingly been alive, uh, 
much later than he seemed to have died, uh, he probably had a flesh blade. I'm pretty sure that completely escaped my grasp until just this very moment. Yeah. Word to the wise, reread your comic books. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's for sure. That's a good that's a really good point. We pick up in uh Witchblade one fifty two and Sarah where basically where one fifty one began and ended was with Sarah in jail after this uh fracas that took place. And she gets bailed out of jail by the individual she met in the club, Kane Jorgensen. And uh she she found his name kinda dubious anyway, but uh, as we go on he identifies himself as a magician. She hangs out. He takes her back to his place to try and show a little magic of their own. Oh, yeah. And we get to uh, – I, I made kind of like a, a plus and minus on this issue. And, you know, once again, I'll say we'll spoil the issue, but we won't necessarily spoil the experience of reading the story. So we're not going to tell you the story, but there will be elements of the book that come up. So we urge you to read it and then listen to us and then read it again or even read it along with us. But Sarah comes back, he shows her some magic, he notices the Witchblade, wants some more information, but in any case, uh, he, they start to get a little uh, frisky and start making out seriously before she basically stops it as he's, he's starting to grope her pretty good and she stops the thing. My, my negative on that is it just, it was hard to do the math on this. It seemed like she was a little too quick to be making out with him, especially with his identity and involvement and still a little bit of question. She can protect herself. I guess that's a good point. I mean, <laughs> and you know. I guess she redeemed it for me when she said, oh, wait, no, stop. This isn't, I mean, that that seemed realistic. But She's kind of heartbroken-ish. You know, I mean, she left home. She's in a new place. She's a little vulnerable and, you know, she just wants a little, uh, a little companionship. Kane being the nice guy, she says no, and it's not like he's all like, no, get back here. I mean, he does run after That's her. That's true. He's, he's, uh, he offers her a coat, he, he offers her a ride, she says that uh, her personal magic will keep will keep me warm, so there's a, there's a little bit of knowledge that there's something there, but I don't really think he knows, we don't know how much he knows about the Witchblade yet. My one question, just artistically, as I'm looking through both the scene at at Kane's theater or place or wherever he took her and in the jail is, and I, I might be missing this because I don't see colors well or something, but I don't see the witchblade on her. Uh, she's got the, the glove on. She has the long, the long fancy gloves. So her left-handed glove is... Um. There's no bump underneath her right glove right. showing that the Witchblade is under there, but we've seen in the past that it can and does change shape, so that doesn't bother me at all. Okay, I don't, it just seem, um, it seems like something's missing, so it does kind of bother me, because uh, especially in there's there's one page um, when she's in uh, when she's basically pushing off his advances and she's pushing him, her wrists are fully smooth there, and I don't know, I just. It just seems to be an oversight, even just a little. I, I agree it can change shape and it can make itself uh, subtle, but I, it just seems like skin-tight gloves and it's not even there. But I'm just being... When Danny whiny. had it, it was a lot tinier than even Sarah's version. True. So, that, uh, I mean, it. 
I guess it would have maybe bumped it up to another level to be sure that detail was included. Um, but considering some of the other stuff I see in superhero comics where people don't even bother drawing lines all the time where costumes change color, um, I'm not going to complain too much. Well, what am I saying? I'm not complaining at all. <laughs> You'll refute my complaint. Um, and my complaint is just a little though, nitpick. I actually kind of wish when it was dormant, it maybe did look different from when it first appeared. Because it always looked really clunky. Yeah. Like, it didn't Super just... Obvious. And we'll actually probably talk about this um, at the end of this issue when we go back to the cover. But um, the kind of, you know, bangly witchblade of the past when it was dormant always kind of looked like a really huge dude's watch. True. And it, yeah. Well, let's go back to the cover now. Now, we can get back to the cover. All right. We can get back to the cover. Okay. But, um, like, when Danny had it, it was much more subdued, though I didn't necessarily care for the over-the-back-of-the-hand part that Danny had that then connected to the ring. Right. Um, but also, I'm a really big fan of the Witchblade anime designs, so mm-hmm. they seem to streamline it a bit, but it still looks unique. Pretty cool. So uh, this seems like a time where maybe they could get away with easily redesigning how it shows up. Fair enough. I'll buy it. All right. Just a little thing I noticed. So Sarah comes and she gets to her house. That's this. This is the biggest payoff in the issue uh, for me, for sure. Anybody who's been following Witchblade for a long time, and anybody who's been knee deep in artifacts, is going to get a nice little payoff as she goes through her belongings. Uh, you know, she just moved to Chicago. Her stuff got delivered and arrived, and. You know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to spoil it, but I will say this, that we, some of the stuff that Tim Seeley talked with us about, you know, basically he said on some of these questions, you know, my question was, well, if Jackie knows what happens in the universe, why doesn't Sarah? And he, he basically said that what you're reading is the way things are, but hold on because you haven't seen everything yet. And what Jackie's created isn't necessarily as stable as you might think it is. Oh, oh no. And I think I was going to wait and talk about this until maybe Artifacts, but I will mention it real quick. I have the feeling that as great as Jackie thinks things are now, they're going to get so much worse than they ever were before. Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't wait for Artifacts the world, and, and Darkness moving forward. Jackie's world is going to tumble, yeah. get destroyed, raised, gone. And it's going to be awesome. And, no lie, he deserves it. Oh, I know you're holding this grudge against him now. Oh, so oh yeah, right. oh yeah. Yep. So you're enjoying the current, the you know, the Phil Hester's last arc as he's in the in the heart of the darkness right I'm, now. I'm behind right now. I will catch up soon. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of, uh, and speaking of the darkness, there's a little bit of uh, darkness lettering going on on this page right here. And I think the darkness is, yeah, coming up soon because the next element that I liked is that the stalker, uh, which which we brought up briefly, 
in Witchblade 151 and now in 152, there are a couple of occasions where there's some trench-coated person that is keeping an eye on Sarah, that is taking notes and watching. And uh, before, there was speculation that it was Kane that had been following her because after that point, she, she encounters him in the bar. But it's not Kane at all. It's somebody who I don't recognize... Uh, but his name is Jerry. I don't know if you've oh, seen him before. Oh, Jerry. I haven't seen Jerry. His so name's Jer- Jerry. So there's Jerry, uh, and he's taking orders from somebody that's in a closet. And I'll tell you, <laughs> the, the eyes made me, and my note is, the who's in the closet? Is that a darkling in the closet? Oh, uh, let's just hope the darklings don't come out of the closet. That that would be hilarious. Now, now Jackie's had Sarah watched before. So, I mean, it wouldn't be, it, it's actually be kind of cool consistency to have him have you know have somebody keeping an eye on her and you know, of course Finn's unfortunately not around any longer to uh, to he, he's otherwise indisposed or is he <laughs> well I mean really I don't know Jackie remade everything good point just because Finn doesn't appear to have the glacier stone doesn't mean he's not around he could be on an island somewhere enjoying his life as, and not knowing his past as repayment for what he did for Jackie in the previous world. Sounds kind of benevolent of Jackie, though. Finn was loyal. Yeah. I don't know. Don't you keep your loyal people closest to you? I don't know. Well, I'm not saying he isn't going to call him back into the fold at some point, but... Maybe he wanted to give him a little R&R after having had the Glacier Stone. And, in a previous world, dying to save Jackie's daughter. Jackie's loyal to those that are loyal to him. Yeah, he always has been. So then the the issue wraps up. This, This arc wraps up, really pushing us towards 153. We're back in the hospital. The old woman who undercame something very mystical, uh, was basically seems to have no memory of, you know, of, of much of what's going on, but she's relaxing in the hospital and then twig wand because, uh, we find out, we find out early on that there is basically a rusty water pump somewhere in a dilapidated basement in Chicago. That is the fountain of youth. That also has some mystical powers that created this issue with this old woman in the first place. And it's awesome because it looks like an old, like, hand pump water pump that you see, well, that I saw growing up on right. farms and stuff. Right. So in any case, this uh, this individual comes to the hospital, confronts the old woman, wants to know where that fountain of youth is. She has a mystical item of her own, which is... Uh, basically a glowing and emitting magic wand. And yeah, so if you need something for, you know, your teenage male friends who liked Harry Potter to start reading something, maybe give them this. Let's yeah, see, she's got go. a magic-y wand. Plus, if, if, if he's 13 or older, he'll kind of enjoy some of the artwork anyway, so yeah. it works out pretty good. Yeah, and, 11. Uh, this is uh, good timing because Sarah is coming to... Um, Sarah wants to interrogate the old woman to try and find out how she got the way she got. And the old woman comes, actually basically, yeah, the old woman comes flying out the window of the hospital engaged with the 
assailant looking for the fountain, and Sarah basically is witnessing all of this and ready to engage. So we've got a three-way three-way dance is what they call that back in the up in ECW days. All right. And then, as has been the case with Top Cow books, some really useful and interesting background materials in there. Did we talk about the uh, previous journal entry of David Jorgensen? We noted it existed, but we didn't talk okay. about it. Um, there's, uh, there was something in here I thought that definitely don't skip over this if you were going to. Go back and reread it, people. There are instances where we have some magical force bringing inanimate things to life. Yeah, so some of this stuff is definitely tying into the main story, giving us some background on Mr. Jorgensen, and uh, I dig it. It's cool. It is, and as written by his wife, the wife of David Jorgensen, Uh, Estelle Jorgensen, and transcribed by Tim Seeley in December of 11, so... Yeah. Pretty fu- a lot of fun stuff, and yeah, you know it's it's easy to skip past the text that that shows up in the back, but it really enriches the story and it fills in so much for you. It's a big payoff if you read those. And then Brian Rontree returns with a discussion about the Fountain of Youth, which we touched on briefly and is shown in a few different pages in this book. And uh, speaking of Brian Roundtree's awesome backup material, I noticed one of the artifacts trades, I don't remember if it was two or three, actually includes a bunch of the stuff that was in the single issues of artifacts that I was really grateful to have when I saw those. Yeah, those were really good write-ups, really really helped pull out the story for us. Though I do want to revisit the, um, because they include like the spheres of influence, and I was looking at some of them, and I'm like... I think they might be, I don't know, they just, it was kind of clunky to read, I think partially because there were so many people, and just the placements didn't work for me, so someday when I have time, I may be super duper nerdy and just uh, try and redo that. Oh, that'll be good. I look forward to that one. Yeah. So, back to the cover. So that brings us to the cover. I'm a big fan of John Tyler Christopher. I really enjoy his yeah. art. I oh, got, yeah. I, got, I have all his artifacts, covers. They're just terrific. And I have to say I'm not a fan of the man hands on Witchblade 152. You've just ruined John Tyler Christopher artwork for, like, half of our listeners. No, he's awesome. He's great. He's one of the best in the business. Yeah, but no one's now going to notice that that's not a man hand under the Witchblade. Which maybe but, it is though. But keep in mind, you like the giant armory, making sure there's something on top of her hand. Look, yeah, but you, you can't should, dispute that. Well, I can't. I can't <laughs> say that. At least Sayish always had the you know the, the long the claw nails at the end. Yeah, of it, though. So. Yeah. So I don't know. So, but here here's here's the thing. I guess jokes aside, there's. A reason why the hands are rendered this way, I think, because John Tyler Christopher is very detailed and he's very good, and I and and I can't see this happening by accident. So the question is, you know, there is a handcuff on there, so it suggests that well, this is you know Sarah following the story. It's hard, you know, it's hard to know. Plus, there's you know there's splattered blood on the wall in front of the character. Those jeans on the cover are definitely girl jeans. 
I refuse to believe otherwise. So maybe John Tyler Christopher just needs a female hand model. Yeah. It is a wraparound cover. And, you know, you might like it. I'm just one lone voice in the, in the breeze, but... You know, and it's it's not bad. It just kind of distracted me, and now I've distracted everybody else. Great. Way to go. Way to go. There you go. That's why you listen. Witchblade 152, pretty good. Continuing the ongoing adventures of Sarah Pizzini. I like it a lot. And I like the – you were giving me some statistics about how Witchblade sales have been going since 151. Yes. They have basically doubled since the pre – Taking out the spike for issues 150 and 151, sales have basically doubled since the Ron Mars run. So Tim Seeley has added some, added some life, brought some new readers, perhaps. You know, maybe, maybe we got some Hackslash fans jumping over to Witchblade, which sounds pretty natural to me. If you're a fan of Hackslash, then this is a good jumping on point to some more good Tim Seeley storytelling. It's still early in the run to rank it near where Ron was doing. Ron was absolutely working and doing something bigger than the stories that we were reading. Uh, in some ways, Tim is as well, as we've seen with some of the synergy going on with Darkness and Artifacts and some of the promised things coming. So I'm looking forward to Witchblade 153. But uh, beyond that, what does Top Cow have coming out? We've got previews. Previews, number 281, f- cover dated February 2012 for stuff beginning to ship in April 2012. And uh, as usual, I'm just going to flip through here and randomly read, well not randomly read stuff, but read stuff that is generally tied to Top Cow, if it is not a Top Cow book. And on page 198, not a Top Cow book, but... Tim Seeley's Hackslash Omnibus Volume 4 trade paperback with art by Dan Leister and Various, underneath an Eric Larson cover. 300 full-color pages rated for teen-plus type folks for $34.99 cover price. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty good price. Looks like there's uh, Victor Crowley's in there from the Hatchet series. Bomb Queen shows up. And, uh... Yeah, collects Hackslash, ongoing 1 through 11, annuals 2 and 3, uh, Zombies vs. Cheerleaders, and the 2011 Holiday Special, which I believe was previously only available uh, as a free digital comic. Hmm. Ah, The Mysterious Ways trade paperback on page 200. Story by Jason Rubin, art by Tyler Kirkham, Sal Regla, and Arif Prianto, underneath the Tyler Kirkham cover. Currently scheduled for April 4th, 160 full-color pages for teens and older for the cover price of 19.99. Sam, an alcoholic convicted ex-cop, wakes up with a mysterious piece of silver in his hand and soon finds himself the prime suspect in a serial murder case pursued by a relentless, picture-perfect FBI agent. But in this story of stereotypes, nothing is what it seems. Bum, bum, bum. Dark, action-packed, supernatural thriller that will have you questioning everything you believe. Uh, There's also a complete cover gallery, a sketch gallery, and additional bonus content for the first time in print. 
Now that miniseries just shipped and wrapped up, didn't it? Just a week or two ago. Uh, that sounds correct. Yes, but I could not guarantee that. Page two hundred and two. Witchblade Rebirth Volume 1, Unbalanced Pieces Trade Paperback, collecting the story that we are currently, well, we just kind of currently discussed. Tim Seeley, Diego Bernard, Fred Bennis, Arif Prianto, underneath the John Tyler Christopher cover, currently scheduled for April 18th. 144 full-color pages for teens and older for the amazing price of $9.99. Hey, there's a good incentive price. So if you haven't gotten the issues and you don't think you'll get around to it, Pre-order the trade because yeah. uh, it'll you'll definitely have a good payoff with this collection. And it collects Witchblade 151 through 155. All right, page 205. Not a Top Cow book, but Bloodstrike number 27 is written by Tim Seeley with art by Francesco Gaston with uh, cover by Tim Seeley and Carlos Badia. Uh, scheduled for April 25th. Uh, standard 32-page format, full color for two ninety-nine. The newly resurrected Bloodstrike blood team is sent against Cabot's dad, the supervillain Quantum. Meanwhile, Cabot is high in the mountains of Afghanistan fighting mummies. But Tim's staying busy. He is. And on page 206, another non-Top Cow book, uh, the Bulletproof Coffin, Disinterred, number four of six. Story by David Hine, upcoming writer on El Darkness, with art and cover by Shaky Kane. That is a standard 32-page full-color format for three ninety nine. When Worlds Collide, the cut-up issue. Destroyovsky unearths fragments of unseen, lost Kane and Hine comic books. 84 panels, 84 mind-blowing scenes. But what does it mean? Uh, I actually haven't read the original Bulletproof Coffin. I should do that. Page 207, The Darkness, number 102. Story by David Hine. Art and cover by Jeremy Hahn. Scheduled for April 18th. Standard 32-page full-color format for mature readers for two ninety-nine. The Crack in Everything, Part 2. In order to maintain his happy home life, Jackie Estacado must dins distance himself further from the darkness than ever before. But with a rival mob moving aggressively into his territory, will Jackie be able to maintain control of his organization without his most powerful weapon at his every beck and call? Page 209. Ah, oh, this Tim Seeley guy is getting around. Hackslash number 15, art by Dan Leister. Uh, cover A by Tim Seeley and colored by Rochelle Rosenberg. And cover B by Anders Eide. Currently scheduled for April 18th, 32-page, full-color format for teens and older teens and up. 350 cover price. Monster Baiting, Part 4. The conclusion to the status quo-changing arc. Giant Gorillas versus Dinosaurs, Slasher versus Slasher, Cassie versus Slasher. I'm guessing the Slasher left standing after the previous Slasher versus Slasher fight. And I actually believe when it says status quo-changing because there's actually a status quo to change. Yeah. Unlike some publishers That's where they're point. like, we're going to change the status quo that hasn't even been around long enough to be a status quo. And getting to page 207, Shinku number 6, by Ron Mars, Lee Motor, Matthew Waite, and Micah Tia. 
Currently scheduled for April 18th, 32-page full-color mature readers for $2.99, The Hidden Fortress, Part 1. Shinku's war against her vampire enemies continues. The second story arc begins with a rooftop battle between Shinku and an ancient vampire, a tale that flashes back to the feudal era of bloody, brutal samurai combat. Horror and martial arts action meet head-on. The fight's going to be awesome. I just know it already. And that starts the the second story arc for... Yes. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah. Was there a trade solicited for that? Yes, there was. But I believe it was solicited as collecting maybe one through four, so maybe it's huh. going to be one through five now. Yeah. Um, I actually did not check updated shipping on that, which I meant to do. And wrapping things up... Page 220, Witchblade number 156. Story by Tim Seeley. Art and a wraparound cover by Diego Bernard and Fred Bennis. And a variant cover by John Tyler Christopher. Currently scheduled for April 25th. 32 pages full color team plus for $2.99. Sarah Pizzini thought she had reached an understanding with Chicago PD's Jane Big Waz Wozniki. But clearly she was mistaken. In order to protect her secret life, Pizzini will agree to help solve a personal problem for Waz, which will inadvertently lead her to discover another aspect of Chicago's supernaturally corrupt nature. Uh, it looks like this is a standalone issue, and it's a perfect jumping-on point for readers now just catching up with Witchblade. You can pick up the trade of unbalanced pieces and then pick up the standalone issue all at once and just get lots of Tim Seeley Witchbladedness. Get rolling. Yes. So, uh, oh, of course, the funny thing is I look at the solicitation art, and it appears like the John Tyler Christopher cover is a wraparound cover, so... It does. Yeah, maybe that just, uh, those lines might have just gotten swapped. Hmm. Either way, looking like a pretty good month. Another solid month for Top Cow, so... Get your pre-orders in. It really makes a difference. And we were just kind of talking anecdotally. I was looking at uh, The Beat, and that's uh, Heidi McDonald's blog. And she has a colleague who runs through the sales numbers for the previous month. He's going through the December numbers for independent titles and seeing some of of what you're talking about with the, the... uh, you know, Witchblade 150 and, and the artifacts, I think on this list it was Artifacts 12 that they were at at that time, is it, these sales numbers really make a difference to how these books stay around. And, uh, you know, retailers won't order them unless they know that their customers want them. Yeah. Because they can't, you know, they got to put the money up for this stuff and they can't afford the shelf space for something that might not sell. So if you're a Top Cow fan... Please try and share that with your retailer and spread the word and try and get some pre-sales because, you know, we're selfishly wanting more material to come out. But in some cases, if, if you just wait for it to come out on the shelf, you may not find it. Yeah, I, uh, I've gotten pretty cutthroat with stuff these days. I, uh, cutthroat, grr. So on that happy high note, <laughs> <laughs> we hope you have a good week. Good journey. <laughs>